Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of You're Not That Effed Up. We are here in Melbourne, Australia, and we are here with Dom McKenna. Uh, runs multiple businesses, uh, started the Entrepreneur Club in Australia, uh, brought it to 11,000 and a half people, one of the biggest meetup groups in Australia, now runs a mentorship program in uh, three countries, has multiple businesses, and we're just going to talk about some success principles, some of the things he's been through, and um, has had a crazy life, crazy upbringing, and uh, so we're just going to kind of dive in, Dom, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your yourself and uh, where you kind of started your journey where you are now actually let's start with where you are now and then we'll kind of track back as to where you started great thanks dennis good to chat with you tonight um yeah we're here in beautiful melbourne australia overlooking a, a great view from a hotel um but yeah my obviously now i'm uh i'm 32 years old i got i'm married to an awesome lady named karina and i got a beautiful 17 month old daughter called grace who's just a light of my life she named her after grace kelly would you believe and so um my son will be named thor but anyway the uh the, the, my uh what i do now is um you know my wife and i got our own business uh, we run a mentorship program through a few countries australia new zealand and uh, the united kingdom and now i think into south korea as well and we've been doing that for about seven years and i've been mentored and, and coached on how to develop that type of thing and um, my, my, my background, actually, I've, I've always enjoyed business. I actually work, started out working in law. So I was trying to be a Harvey Specter, but ended up working in the mail room and, uh, and started working in the legal industry. Absolutely hated it, doing 80 hours a week. Uh, like most people going through school, I took that path because I thought it was the only path I could take at the time. And uh, started working in that and then got very frustrated and transitioned out of that during the global financial crisis. You'd remember that when all the work dried up and uh, then shifted into business, into advertising, and then had eventually had a door open to me to a couple who started mentoring and coaching us on, on developing some stuff through mobile commerce and which led to then running these mentorship programs and, and helping people develop passive income outside their jobs. And we've scaled that up and have gone through some, um, you know, some amazing character development journey and all that and leaned into a lot of personal development. And that's, that's really been the last seven years. Um, and, and I think, yeah, we're finding a lot of success in what we're doing and loving it. And it's a lot of stories behind all that. And I think tonight, I suppose what we're going to do is, so we're talking about you're not that effed up is we're going to go back before all that stuff, before I start on that journey, um, from what I gather, and we're going to talk about, um, yeah, maybe some of the, the sticking points and problems that I have with addiction and stuff like that. Is that right, Dennis? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's just an incredible success story. And sometimes people think that they're going through stuff and they're the only one going through it and maybe can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I may ask some tough questions, make you dig in and into some of those deep, dark spots that maybe you've uh, maybe blocked off. But someone may be feeling those same things, thinking those same same things about themselves. But it's cool to see somebody who's kind of gone through it is on the other side of it. And now, not only did you help yourself through it, but there's many people now that you're able to mentor and help through that as well as to maybe one of the reasons why you went through that and why you've been so successful at helping other people go through it because you can kind of connect with that brokenness. Um, so why don't we dig back when and when you first started getting into addiction? I know you um, got into alcohol and some drugs and uh, maybe talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you actually got into. Um, and how that kind of came about and how it happened. Yep. 
Sure. Well, I think if you remember back uh, to a show called South Park, if you haven't seen it, there used to be a guy called Mr. Mackey, and he used to say, drugs and bad, okay? And and the, uh, and the one of the things was they used to say, marijuana is a gateway drug. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, we all remember that. And so when I was, uh, I think when I was, I've had, I have had a, by the way, I've had a phenomenal upbringing. I've got incredible parents who are very successful, and I grew up, and they were, they were, um, yeah, they had set themselves up by the time I was, I was born and had built a business through about 30 countries around the world. And so we're very successful. Um, but it always taught us, uh, always taught us the value of money. We're the opposite of spoiled. You know, they never wanted us to be uh, overrun with stuff, and so they taught us to have good values and good character. Regardless of all that, as a, as a, as a new parent, uh, I've come to realize that kids will be influenced more by the kids around them than they will their parents. It's just the way we go when we're younger, right? So when I was 12, 13, I got into the skateboarding scene. Loved it. Tony Hawk pro skater. I could kick your ass in that. Great game. Great, great game. And so we played a lot of uh, stuff like that and I got into skateboarding and with that got into a crowd of some guys that were into drugs and you started smoking weed and that sort of stuff and then that started leading to some heavier stuff and, and by, I'm talking by the time I was like 13, 14. So by the time I was 13, 14, I wasn't a drug addict or anything like that, but I was experimenting in in substances beyond marijuana, uh, ecstasy and that type of stuff. And so I started getting right into the party scene uh, and, and doing a bit of that, but I was going back to school every semester. Uh, and then as I came back 14, 15, 16, started getting a little bit more of that stuff. By the time I got to university, it was full pelt. You know, I was I was starting to party every weekend. I'd go out on a Thursday. I'd sometimes come come home, had not slept for us till a Saturday. That was a, that was a pretty decent one. And one time a Sunday and that type of thing. And so I got right into the party scene, just chasing, chasing that, and uh, and yeah, got into what I would what I would yeah call addiction for sure. You know, drinking and addiction, drinking all the time, partying, uh, hanging out with the wrong people, and my life started to unravel. I actually gave up drinking, and we'll go back into some of that heavier stuff in a second. But <clears throat> what's what's interesting, I'd done so much damage from about 17 to about 22 that I actually completely quit drinking and taking drugs when I was 22 years old, and that was 10 years ago. So I'm 10 years sober uh, through a uh, through through a 12-step program uh, and which has been very very helpful even just through a program I should say um, and so that but if I go back to all that that's when it all started when I was younger through a lot of the influences that I had and I think what brought me back on track when I was uh, 22 was I had such good values that I'd had Im- imprinted into me by my parents and I always use the analogy of well if you think about a storm if you have a storm and a, the, the tree doesn't have very strong roots what's going to happen is it's going to get upended and come out isn't it whereas values and character if your parents or your environment put that into you when a storm happens like what went through my life the tree didn't rip out the trunk stayed pretty strong even though a lot of the lot of the leaves got ripped off and maybe even some of the branches Uh, but we can get into more of that stuff yeah so let's look at i mean you had this great upbringing your parents had this wonderful lifestyle that you had and you traveled and you experienced things and here life is giving you everything you kind of need as a kid and then all of a sudden you got this association that comes in and sometimes people don't realize we always hear from our parents you are who your friends are and then um we don't realize it until we become parents that that is true like you said um what was going through your parents like what was the relationship you had with your parents at that time when you were going through this like, what were they thinking? Did they know what was going on? Were they? Did they know the extent of what was happening? I think that I didn't think they knew the extent because you know when you're pretty good at hiding stuff. Some people are better at that than others, but um, they were pretty cool. They, they were cool. My dad, my dad uh, hasn't had a drink in 40 years. He used to be a maniac when he was younger. He went through heaps of heaps of challenges and issues with uh, with alcohol primarily. 
uh, actually to- totally with alcohol and so he'd, he'd seen all that before so he's he was a, he was a hardcore party guy back in the 60s and 70s when when they used to wear those long what do they call this man's flares yeah I mean, my dad looked like the guy had a saturday night fever right and so uh they went through all that stuff so they were really cool through it all and i think because they weren't controlling it also drew me to them to be able to come back there was more attraction to, to be able to talk to them about some of the issues that I was having as well even though I kept some of it under the radar but you know, I've, had, I've had a really good upbringing but I don't, I don't think that matters I mean you can have a good upbringing a bad upbringing but when you get around the wrong people and then you get around poor influences negative influences then that stuff can just suck your life up like quicksand and I started the thing is with me because I'm a social person you probably hear I talk I, I'd get to know new friendship circles all the time and when you get into better circles they tend to have more money and so then the access to drugs becomes a lot quicker and a lot easier because you learn how to network through those circles uh, and so yeah by the time I was in my late teens early 20s I mean I had access to all different types of people uh, lots of different friend groups which opened up to a lot of doors to a lot of different uh, dangerous avenues yeah I mean I can relate my parents gave us a great upbringing didn't really have to worry about much same kind of thing I uh, had some friends and they had older brothers uh, that were getting into drugs and their parents weren't around and we started drinking and getting things similar age um, I think I just got lucky enough that I was very involved in sports that that somewhat counteracted a lot of things that were going on and kind of steered me in the right direction so that probably saved me from going down that road at that age that early on um, which I kind of revisited later in life um, after I dislocated my elbow my senior year in college and kind of going through a situation where here was my whole life's purpose every decision I made and now it was kind of gone and now I kind of went into that drinking mode and the association and everything there so um what was going through your head when 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 you were going through this addiction? Like, what what did it feel like? If you know, obviously, there's people listening to this that maybe are going through that now and maybe think that they're the only one or they don't know what that feeling. If they can kind of connect with you on what that feeling was like, that would drive you at that point where you realize, like, I can't go without this. Um, what was that like? Yeah, I think it's it's a really tough one because you get caught in this uh, cycle of addiction that goes on, I believe, and they and they they almost draw it like a a, a clock. If you think about twelve o'clock, it's like um, you, you think about how a clock runs. It's like okay, well, I, I, I'm I'm functioning normally, and then what happens is I start to become irritable, restless, and discontent. You know, because it's like man, I, I can't. I'm not just comfortable being with me. Because a lot of a lot of the spiritual journey, if you're into that type of thing, is like I'm not comfortable, I'm, I'm irritable, I'm restless, I'm discontent. So I try to fill that void, try to fill that hole with something. And so what I end up doing that is with the substance or with alcohol, whatever it is. <clears throat> so that's like more like three o'clock on the calendar, and then I go on a spree, which is obviously like a bender. You call it a bender? Yep, going like a bender. And then I have a, a what? A binge. A binge. A binge. We call it a bender. And then uh, <laughs> and then what happens is you have guilt, shame, and remorse. And then you start the clock all over again. And until you find a way to break the cycle, which is often getting out of the environment and going into a new environment, that's why a lot of those things like 12-step programs or whatever type of thing you try to do, if you get around better people who are a support group, that stuff can help you. But going back to that, when I was in that, it was like uh, being in that cycle of addiction a lot was, well, uh, it was exactly what I just described. It was just chaos. But it wasn't... But the thing is, initially, it's not 
total chaos. That's why you can, it's like manage chaos. But what happens the deeper you get into addiction is it, it's, it then becomes unmanaged. And when it moves from managed to unmanaged and your life starts to unravel, sometimes that happens for people faster or longer. I mean, I know guys, I know guys who still drink that are in their 30s and their life is just on the edge of coming undone, but it has been for three or four years. It's just, it's dysfunctional, but it's not out of flipping control. And so someone might be listening like this. They're right on the edge, um, but it hasn't quite come undone. And, and when it does, when it does come undone, they call it hitting rock bottom. But the thing is, some people can have multiple rock bottoms. So I thought I'd hit rock bottom and then it would happen again and then again. And, and uh, so for me, it was, it was the chaos cycle. And then you think you've got it under control and then you don't. And then it slips away. And you think you've got it. It's, it that's what it feels like. It slips out of your hands all the time. And there were so many times I had desperation where I was like, I need to talk to somebody about this. I need to talk to my parents about this. I need to talk to... Uh, and, that, and the great thing about having supportive people around you is they will talk to you about it. But a lot of the time you want to talk to them about it but then in the back of your mind you're like if i do then i can't get back on the substances or booze again and so you don't so then you self-sabotage yourself out of that yeah and so it's this cycle i used to do that every sunday night guilt shame remorse frustration i have all these missed calls all this chaos and i'd be like i've got to get out of this cycle and then i just wouldn't because it wasn't that bad have you ever heard the story about the dog the dog on the nail on the porch yep. yeah the dog on the nail of the porch who's moaning and the guy says what's wrong with the dog and he says i'm on a nail and he's on a nail he says why doesn't he get off he just doesn't hurt enough and 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 here's if you're listening and you have someone in your family who is a is an addict or is a uh, alcoholic abuser it's like if you enable the behavior if you enable the behavior you just extend the rock bottom yeah so what was that? What did that guilt? When you say guilt, shame, remorse, what what were the thoughts going through your head, or what was some of the self talk that was happening? What were you feeling guilty of? Like what was coming to mind? Well, I'm a pretty vibrant sort of person and, and energetic and positive, but around that time I was starting to lose my self confidence. I was starting to forget. Uh, I was starting to. What happens is your values and and your character starts to become unhinged. You know, it starts to get unhinged because you're you start to. It's like you, I went I went to school with a guy. Actually, this is really interesting. I went to school with a bloke, really good guy. I used to skateboard together when we were younger, and he was just a he, he was a good guy, yeah. right? Really good guy. His name's Mark, and uh, and we went to school together, and I met him in a nightclub once, and he actually came up to me in a nightclub and he said to me, "Do you want to buy some pills? Do you want to buy some ecstasy?" And uh, and I've and I actually didn't which was yeah funnily enough i didn't that night <laughs> and i was like no nah, I and i'm good but you know he's like cool you know and i was like oh so you you know he, mark there's a guy at school who was just like just a knockabout guy who <clears throat> i ran into that situation and there was about a year before i, I got off everything and then uh, one day i was walking down the street funnily enough in a suburb literally straight through there dennis straight th over there right down, uh, the right down off the river it's called south melbourne <clears throat> it's where we were the other day and uh, he walked past me and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Mark. I won't say his last name because he's quite notorious now. And he had tattoos all over his face. He had tattoos all over his skull. And I was like, man, he's a, he's a, he's a full bikey. Like he's a full bikey. And I actually went home. And, and you know when you see someone and you're like, you know they're bad. Yeah. You know there's bad there. Like there's just, it's just tough so i actually went home and i googled him and uh and and then i found out he was just about to go to prison he walked into a he became a huge bikey enforcer actually walked into a shopping center like we're talking like a uh like the grove type of thing wow. in los angeles and shot another bikey member in the middle of it and a lady was shot and just like chaos and i was like isn't that amazing how 
two guys go to school together, both good guys. We're like, I'm a good guy. He's a good guy. We both get around bad association because I had stronger values and stronger roots within the tree. When the storm came, I didn't get ripped out. When his storm came, he went with it and he became the storm. And so it's just amazing the, the power of association, negative or positive, whereas he got into that scene and he stayed in that scene, whereas I was able to get uprooted out of that. Before the end, I want to tell you how that happened. Absolutely. So what was one of the worst moments that you can remember um, and what was going on in your head at that time? Like, like, and, and what, what was, what was that like going through that? Jeez, there was a few of them. Um, definitely a few really tough moments actually. And I could get into descriptive stuff, but <clears throat> at risk of incriminating myself, just kidding. <laughs> More of, if I think about, uh, well, you know, I had a pretty bad car accident. I stole a car and put it through a palm tree into a brick wall one time, had someone in the car with me. The number of things like that, that was when I was 16, didn't even have a license. So I went to court to lose my license and the judge is like, you don't even have a license. How can you lose something you don't have? You know, it was just those sort of situations and many, many, um, I think there was many situations of rubbing shoulders with the wrong people and, uh, you know, coming out of blackouts. I remember I came out of a blackout once up the side of a five-story building and I was on the side of the five-story building and I, and I, and my eyes opened and I was like, whoa, I'm on the side of a five-story building. And I, and I wasn't, I was climbing up it. I wasn't trying to jump off it. I was climbing up it to get in because I'd, I was trying to get back into a party that somehow I'd gotten thrown out of. Can you believe that? And I was climbing the side of a building with, with like verandas and levels. So I was five stories up. I think it was five, no, more than that. I think it was like five, yeah, five stories up. That'd be right. I was climbing back up to a party that I'd been kicked out of because I was too wasted. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't want me back. I don't know why. <laughs> so I rolled, tried to roll back into it. And y'all could have just died. Yeah, simply. Yeah, this and many, many stories like that. And I think a lot of people listening have stories like that where you're right on the edge and something happens. And so, uh, yeah, fascinating. And, and that's, that's where a lot of my belief in spiritual spiritual belief now and belief in God or higher power, whatever you want to call it, comes from because I have too many situations in my life where what some people would call freak occurrences or um, divine intervention happened that eventually it, it just becomes well because I look at, in my, at uh, a family member of mine who went through so much stuff like that way worse than me way worse multiple times thought he was going to die and he didn't he didn't it's always just something that came through and there's always and it got pretty pretty hectic for a while there but there was always just something that happened with him he was able to get his way out of it or whatever and uh, and I could just I could tell you so many stories like that but um yeah, I've, I've had heaps of them rubbing shoulders with the wrong people, really intense situations happening. Hectic ones I'd probably rather not go into because it's, yeah, it is it is pretty full on and it might, might cause a bit of trauma, trauma for some people. But um, yeah, many situations like over and over. But and the funny thing is, and then I stopped at 22. So that was like uh, zero to 100 from 17 to 22 zero to a hundred but definitely uh you know there was some stuff with rubbing shoulders with the wrong people and bikies and and just some standover stuff that went on that was pretty intimidating pretty scary and actually terrorizing would be the word uh, terrorizing i came from a town where it was full of people like that uh part big party scene which also comes with a big party scene yeah. and all the mechanics behind a party scene uh, a place called the gold coast in australia which is really well known we call it a sunny place for shady people and so there was a lot of that and I used to think that was cool when I was younger you know you watch movies like Goodfellas and Casino and all this and you think that's cool and then you start to rub shoulders with some of that underworld element and then when that starts to rub shoulders back with you and then that turns on you 
you actually experience terror and I experienced that one time and uh, actually multiple times at one time in particular and I can tell you my desire to watch gangster movies uh, changed because I actually started to realize what it was like to have gangsters uh, trying, to, trying to stand over you or press on you and you start to realize that it's not as cool as we think it is when we watch shows like Sons of Anarchy and things like that. It's great to watch on a TV, but to have it come into your living room, it's not cool. It's actually disgusting. So, Man, that's powerful. And I appreciate you sharing that. I know it's not easy. I know I told you we were going to dig in with some stuff. So what was the moment, what happened to all of a sudden seek help? Did someone step in and try and grab you out of that? Did you go to somebody? Like, how did you get out of it? What, what were the steps that you, or that moment that was that shift? I know it was a journey to fix it, but what was that moment that made you kind of, that, that spark that, that started that journey to fixing it? Yeah, it was actually a guy. It was actually a guy. Now, I had multiple situations where people had said to me, you're out of control. And I'm like, you're out of control. You know, that type of thing. People was like, you're out of control. And, um, but there was actually a guy, a guy called Brad, funnily enough. Um, I had met him on the Gold Coast. Uh, he was actually working at a church at the time, I think it was. And I didn't meet him through a church. I met him through a, a youth program that we were running. He came in as a speaker and I heard his story. And this guy came from a place called, uh, he came from a place in Central Australia, put it that way, and uh, which is one of the biggest drug transportation uh, areas in the country. It's like uh, San Diego, right? Because yeah. everything comes up through Tijuana, up into through San Diego and goes through. That's a really big drug area. I don't know if you know that San Diego is. And uh, anyway, same as in the central spot in Australia. It's where everything goes from south to north. And this guy was the biggest drug dealer in that town. And so what he used to do, this is a pretty heavy story. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah. So be all right. So this this guy, uh, what he used to do, and this is this is not a good story, but he um he was one of the biggest drug dealers in the town. He had twenty two federal police on his case, and uh, he used to um not only run you know guns and drugs and all that, but he used to actually find women, girls, and he'd get them hooked on drugs, and then he'd turn them into prostitutes. And that's what he did. So this dude was a bad dude. This is a bad guy, right? And uh, and he had a um. He had a situation one time where, you know, all this was happening, the the, the cops are on to him and um, 22 federal police, that's like 22 FBI agents on his case trying to take this guy down because you want to take people like that down. Yeah. And, uh, and and this is, uh, can I mention a spiritual thing in this? Is that cool? Yeah, Not too heavy? Yeah, <clears throat> and then uh, his grandmother one day showed up, uh, intervened on him like his grandmother. And this dude, man, if you ever, if you ever met this dude, this dude is like six foot four, and he is massive, massive, twice the size of me sideways. And uh, and she prayed over him, and she prayed over him. And she said, "I've been, I just have, I just have a feeling that I need to come here and pray over you." <clears throat> and he actually had a spiritual experience at that time. Yep, and he actually had a spiritual breakthrough and spiritual experience, and he decided to. And this is like. This is you hear this story and you're like whatever, yeah. but this is this happened where she prayed over him and she the whole thing and he had a spiritual breakthrough. And he decided to uh, he decided he was going to leave that world. And the thing is, he became quite a evangel. What's the word? Evangelistic. Evangelistic. Yeah. evangelistic. What's whatever what, that thing? And he became all you that. Say with your accent, it doesn't yeah, matter. Ev right. Evangelical. Evangelical. That's what he did. And uh, and and so what, what happened was a lot of the other gangsters in the town got really concerned that he became evangelical because they were like, he's going to tell the cops some of the stuff we've been doing. So they put a hit out on him. They put a hit out on this guy's life and they were going to kill him. And you know how much he was worth? 35000 That was it. He had a hit out on this bloke. And uh, and you know what he did? This is, this is a fascinating story. But he used to tell this. So I can tell this story. He used to tell this in churches and youth programs. 
he knew the guy because it was such a small town. He knew the guy that was going to take him out. So what he did is he went to the guy's house and he met him at his house and he confronted him at his front door because he knew that he wouldn't kill him. And he knew that he wouldn't kill him in his house. Here's this guy. Yeah. He knows that this guy is going to come kill him and he goes to him. He goes to his house. This is unbelievable. Yeah. So he goes to his house and he confronts him at his house because he knew he wouldn't kill him in his own house because there'd be too much DNA, there'd be too much blood, the whole thing. I mean, isn't it just scary to know that? <laughs> like to know the situation. So he goes and sees him in his own house and, he, and, he, and you know what he did? He prayed over him. He prayed over the guy. Oh, he's just confronted him in his house and this guy had a spiritual experience. The dude. And we all want to know what this prayer is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God grant me the serenity or whatever it is. You know, whatever it is. Whatever prayer we want to think about. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, and so he prays over this guy and this guy has a breakthrough. And I, I, by the way, I, I never got on this podcast to talk about spirituality or yeah, anything. This is yeah. not, but it's, it, it's, it's a story. This is, this is, and if you don't relate to this, just listen to the, listen to the, the silver lining in it all. You're just reporting. Well, he, this is, yeah, I'm reporting. But you listen to how this story ends because this is, this is, I believe God works through people whether or not you believe in God and so anyway this guy uh, what happens this guy says to me you got 12 hours to get out of town he says you got 12 hours to get out of here and he goes and guess what because this guy who was meant to take this guy Brad out is one of the most uh, um, uh, what would you call it feared guys in the town he became evangelical and everyone crapped their pants <laughs> and they left him alone and so Brad left the town he got a, he got a, he got a golden ticket out of town Here's the thing. Four years later, he sits down with me. He sits down with me on a uh, Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. up on the Gold Coast. Uh, sorry, it was a Thursday morning, actually. Get my calendar right. It was a Thursday morning in 2008, November 12th. And he sits down with me, and he hits me between the eyes. <clears throat> he basically, po- basically pointed out to me that I was going to lose everything. I was going to lose the respect of my parents, my family, my friends, if I didn't make a change. He hit me with tough love. He told me the truth. And in a world today where there's where there's so much bull crap out there. The truth stands out. There's so much fakeness in this world that the truth stands out immediately. So he hit me with a hard truth and it hit me so hard, my desire to change became immediate. And I actually went and I actually, I, I sought out help, proper, proper, proper program help that night and got straight into a program and haven't had, haven't had a drink or a drug since that day. Here's the best part of, here's the, the best but the saddest part of the story. Two years later, Brad went back into that world. Two years later, Brad got back into the drugs and alcohol and then went into back into that world and his life completely unraveled. So Brad was a conduit. Brad was a conduit who came to me and saved me amongst other people and then went back to that. So when you think that someone's saved, not just not talking about spirituality or anything, I'm talking about from that, it's like we're only as good as the work we do on ourselves today. And if you rest on your laurels and you're not continuing to work on yourself, you can go back into that world. Isn't that an incredible story? Remarkable story, man. Unbelievable. Isn't it? And so he ended up going back out there into the whole criminal element world, got into a whole bunch of strife. And I actually think I, I checked up a little while back. I actually think we're about what eight years down the track now. I actually think he sorted his life out again, which, which is awesome. But man, trials, talk about trials and tribulations. Me in comparison to that guy, no way, no way. I can't even believe I'm speechless at this point. I don't even know what to ask you. Um, but so what was once you started that journey to start um, improving your life now, right? What and, and obviously, like you mentioned, he ended up going back into that world. Um, it's an everyday battle. I can imagine that you have this 
voice and this 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 feeling of something wanting to take you back to that world and that's why you also probably have to protect your association because if that association starts to unravel again it can become so easy right that secondhand smoke is so dangerous so um what are the steps that you took to start improving and then what are the daily things that go through your head sometimes that you have to battle with because that's something that I'm sure some people are dealing with too is that it's a daily battle uh, and that's what life is really about that journey of of constantly battling you're you're not alone you're not the only one you're not that effed up because you feel that way everyone's going through something in some kind of battle it's how do you protect yourself what are these key things and elements and um, maybe uh, habits that you've developed so that you don't fall back that way yep that's right, because that wasn't that wasn't the turning point in that moment. That was that was that was a moment where I got to make a decision. That was a kick in that was a kick in the teeth, yeah. where I made a decision off the back of that. But then I had to back that decision up by action, and that action was change. Okay, so I got to change my environment. So I go, I get a, a different support group. That doesn't. That's not just a solution. Then I got to do the work on changing me. So what do I do? Well, I found a mentor in that arena I found a mentor someone who could guide me and give me tough love I've always believed a mentor is someone who will tell you what you want to hear what you don't want to hear not what you want to hear right they need to tell you the truth and so I found a mentor someone who could guide me now I'm not even the business part of it yet we're talking just in, in life stuff and so someone who would challenge me you didn't try and, to figure it out on your own no I, well I couldn't because the current think about this the significant problems that I faced in life couldn't be solved at the level of thinking I was at when I created them. That's an Albert Einstein quote. <clears throat> so I share that with you because my current thinking at the time had got me to a point where I'd hit rock bottom and everyone was walking away from me. So how was I going to get myself out of that thinking? Well, I couldn't because my best thinking got me there. So I had to find someone who could help me elevate that thinking, which was a mentor. Yeah, in that, in that arena. We don't call it quite that, but a mentor. I think about it like that. So some guidance. Um, and so what happened was I got I changed my environment. I got rid of all my... I, honestly, some people find this radical, but I got rid of all my friends. Yeah, and some of them got rid of me too because they didn't like the fact that I'd quit drinking and drugs and all that because that was my identity. My identity was I'm the, I'm the party guy and people love being around the party guy. But how many party guys out there are out there? Anybody can be a party guy. You meet them all the time. Schmuck city. Whereas I, I started to create my, a new identity for myself which didn't involve drugs and alcohol. And so what I believe I did is I rebuilt um, my DNA. And so you just said before about it must be hard for you to go back to that. It's actually not. It's not for anymore because it's not in my DNA to drink or take drugs. Now I'm very aware that I can slip back into that because it's, it's a progressive disease and I'm in remission. I'm always in remission and addiction. So I would never say that I would never do that again, but today I'm not going to. It's a one day at a time thing. But in my DNA, I don't have any desire to do that. But if I start to go lose the daily habits like you talked about, get around the right people, have the right input going into my mind, my influences change a little bit, uh, and I start to speak to myself differently, I can easily slip back to that stuff. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not six months from now, but maybe a year or two from now. Because it's, it's, it's the sometimes, it's the drifting that's the issue. As Napoleon Hill talks about in Outwitting the Devil, it's the drifting that's the problem. It's not the immediate moment. It's we start to drift back to old behaviors. We start to drift in the way that we, we look at the look at other people. And it happens in marriages all the time, right? Yeah. It's not the one moment sometimes. It's the moments that lead up to the one moment of 
uh, adultery or whatever it is. It's the it's the thinking that went before that. It's maybe watching the pornography. It's maybe the doing this that that, that helps the person that, that makes the person drift. That then they make that poor decision, which unravels the relationship. You agree with that? Yeah. You see, we see this. You see this in the world all the time in politics or whatever it is. And so now my daily habits are really around um, being around the right people. I'm very intentional about who I spend time with. I don't waste time with people that, that I don't think I can add value to or that can add value to me. I just don't. Life's too short. I heard the average lifespan of someone uh, after you get rid of like working, after you get rid of travel, uh, uh, food prep, um, sleeping, everything you can think of is like six years. Six years, six years. You can actually look that up in a book called Max Out Your Life by Ed Milet. And he talks about the average lifespan is like, it's like six years, I think it is, something like that. <clears throat> Once you get rid of all the stuff that we do, working 40 hours, sleep, blah, 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 time with the kids, every, six years, six years to live your life. Yep, and that's remarkable. We spend so much time trying to please people who aren't good influencers and somewhat are sometimes toxic, but we're worried about cutting them out because we worry what they think. Most people honestly won't come to your funeral. Most people won't come to your funeral. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, I've, and I, I've actually experienced this. I could, I could very transparently say there's people I know that are B-list acquaintances in my life that have passed away and some of their funerals I haven't gone to. I haven't, and not because I don't want to, but you know, it's it's more like it, I had someone recently, and they passed away, and I was, I had uh, stuff on with my daughter, and it was like, I, I didn't know about it, and I was like, man, and it's just. People who are really close to you will come to your funeral, but some of the people you're trying to please won't. Yeah. They just won't. And you're just trying to find that significance and that love, and you think it's coming from their acceptance because you haven't really created that love for yourself totally. and that identity that you talked about. So was there ever a moment, which I'm sure there was over the last years, right? It's been a decade now, um, that you almost slipped back in. Yeah, yeah, there was about a year, year and a half, just over a year into actually, um, yeah, being sober. There was, there was actually one moment where um, I went to a party. I actually organised my twenty third birthday party down at a place called Byron Bay, beautiful place. Thing is, I organised the party, had all my drinking mates come, expecting them not to drink. Idiot. So they all came. They all came. They all drank, and I and I got around the environment. Drugs came out. All this stuff. And that's right. They can do whatever they want, man. That's recreational partying. That's no no problem with that. And uh, and I put myself back in that environment, and very easily nearly slipped slipped back into it. So a couple of times, maybe early days where I was uh, under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure with some other stuff going on, and uh, and that was compounding. I never thought about drinking, but I it was more the the irritable restlessness, um, frustration and stress that was on me that could have led to a breaking point that led back to drugs and alcohol, definitely. But I've never really had the, after about nine months in, I lost a desire. I'd made a really strong decision that I didn't want to do that again. But you know what's funny? I often dream about it. I often dream about that I've gotten, I've, I've um, regressed or I dream that I've, um, what's the word? Um, what's the word when you like get back on it? I often dream that I'm doing drinking or drugs or whatever it is. Yeah, and then I dream I dream about the guilt and shame and remorse and I wake up and I'm like worried and then I go, oh my goodness, that was just a dream. I dream like maybe two months, three months. So I wake up in like the anxiety with a bit of anxiety around that I went back to it because that life is such a nightmare for me that I'll have a nightmare about it and wake up and think I'm in the nightmare. Wow. Yeah. So still, still sticking with you. So what, what protected you? I know we, 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 we always hear, and it's, it's in some books, right? You, um, a lot of, um, 
uh, military, you'll you'll under pressure, you'll fall back to the the level of your training, right? So when you had that pressure in your life come on, because that's usually when people slip, right? Life is hard, something happens, relationship, work, you lose your job, something, business goes awry, and that's where that pressure comes in. So what what were the habits that you developed that help you battle against? slipping back in what 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 caused you to fight at that moment to not slip back in when that pressure was hitting well i think over time what what you build is you build emotional resilience you know and that's something i've worked really hard on actually really both kareen and my wife and i have worked really hard on that And, and you know what's really cool about this is i'm actually and i think this is part of the reason why we've been so successful with this so far is you know i'm talking about my journey right now but we actually met when we were getting sober and so my wife has actually been a big part of the reason i've been able to stay sober and being out because i've got someone who's constantly challenging me so so far i've just talked about me and what i've done and what i've overcome but like we've overcome it all together and she's got and i don't want to tell her story because it's it's her story but she she was uh, i was a year sober she was uh, i was just over a year she was nine months no she was I was a year and a half and she was nine months. That's right. And so we met on that journey together. And that's part of the reason why we built so much strength is because we've done it together the whole way. So when she's, if she ever gets out of sorts, I'll try and hint towards her. And if I get out of sorts, she'll hint towards me and we keep each other accountable. Uh, and that's been a huge part of me. A lot of people don't have that. They're trying to keep themselves accountable, which is harder. That's why you've got to have a mentor or a sponsor or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and we have that too, by the way. But that power, the power of two of us has just, man, one plus one equals 11. And so when when we always talk about it, it's like you just don't quit on the same day. <laughs> talk about that concept in yeah. business a lot too. But it's the same. It's the same on the life journey. So we've both built our resilience with each other and uh, and challenged each other and have built what we call, what David Goggins calls mental calluses. We built the mental muscle in our brain. A lot of people spend a lot of time in the gym trying to get fit and get massive quads and get their glutes shaped like bloody peaches or whatever. And it's true though, right? They walk around, they take photos of it and they hashtag it, but most people don't spend enough time trying to build the mental calluses in their brain because they're not... They're not seen to the outside world, but we've spent so much time in emotional resilience, mental toughness, reading different books, listening to podcasts. Like I listen to probably two to three podcasts, a minimum two podcasts, sometimes three podcasts a day, business ones and, uh, and you know, all different ones you can get. Uh, and I just, I reckon Karina and I are addicted to getting better that we are actually addicted, that is our new addiction, is unlocking our true potential. And we both chase it. And now we've got a daughter and we're going to help her chase it as well, as much as she wants to, of course, because she's on our own journey. But it's being that example of someone who's always evolving, always getting better. Uh, and yeah, we just believe in really strong personal development. And in a world where people sort of get to a point where they're 22, 23, 24 years old and they don't do many more personal development. They don't read because they read so much at school or whatever. Uh, and they stagnate. And that's why you see a lot of people who hit about 32, 33 years old in Australia, that's the average ceiling wage. You know what I mean by ceiling wage? 32, 33 years old is when most of them hit their point where they don't get past that. Uh, They only get little adjustments with inflation every year. They don't get big pay rises because they stagnate in the way that they think and they just become a cog in the pyramid or the wheel, whatever you want to call it. And so we chase that. Man, so, so not only, you know, did this all happen but you also met your wife because of this happened mm-hmm. um, which is absolutely incredible because sometimes we, we we question why things are happening right things are happening to us and then sometimes you realize it's happening for us and then and then all of a sudden you become a conduit like you said right and then things happen through you 
to help some other people. And I can imagine you've helped a lot of people through the experiences that you've had. And that's what's led to your success in the Entrepreneur Club and your success in your mentorship program and being able to shed this light on how to help people bring out their best self and their full potential. Um, So what advice would you have for someone looking to change that as we close up and wrap up this podcast? Um, What is the advice you have for them? to seek help, to seek out certain programs that can help them, and then what can they implement in their life to possibly stay on track um, so that they can move forward uh, on that journey and take it that one day at a time. Yep. That's great. Well, I think it doesn't matter what you're struggling with, whether it's uh, emotional issues or whether it's some people don't even some people don't struggle as much as others. Um, but whether it's addiction, maybe it's not addiction. Maybe it's just maybe you just struggle uh, with your self image or your self worth, the way you see yourself, that type of thing. <clears throat> I would I would recommend getting addicted to personal development. Yeah, and I don't mean the warm fuzzy. I mean doing doing what a friend of ours, Dean, calls the harder work, not just working hard, which is really evaluating yourself, doing a personal inventory, having a look at yourself. What are your strengths and weaknesses? Ask some other people. Do a 360-degree feedback loop on yourself. Ask people areas that you think you can change. A lot of people never do that. They never see it. say to people, hey, what areas do you think I can get better at? Because they don't want to look at the tough stuff. They don't want to look at where they suck. And so we've been able to, I think, build and grow on a lot of what we do because, I mean, I, I do a lot of speaking. I'll probably speak somewhere at least minimum once a week. Uh, and I think it's a lot of speaking, but we do somewhere, somewhere a lot. And sometimes it's more than that. Um, we can do, we can do like you guys, you guys speak way more than we do around the world in entrepreneur events. But I, I listen to all my own audios. I listened to all of them. I listened to some of them twice. And I had someone say to me once, that's a bit narcissistic. I said, well, do you think if Michael Jordan, not that I'm comparing myself to him, but do you think it's if Michael Jordan watched all, even Alan Iverson used to watch all of his own film tape. So did Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant, after every game, him and Tex Winter used to go back to the Lakers locker room and they'd watch film tape. So people go, why do you listen to your own stuff? So I can hear how to get better. I can hear the bits that I sucked at and the times that I uh, ummed and I ahed and I did this and how do I sharpen, sharpen, sharpen? Well, I have to be aware of what I need to get better at. But most people aren't willing to look at that blind spot and self-evaluate and then get coaching on it to get better. And we've just gotten addicted to doing that. And just, you know, my wife will speak and straight afterwards and we've got an agreement in our house we have a 24-hour rule where you don't give each other feedback on speaking because your, your senses are so heightened after you deliver a talk. If someone gives you feedback on it straight away, you take it way more emotionally than you should. It's actually a rule in the speaking industry. So 24 hours afterwards, then we'll say, hey, here's maybe an area you could have got better at. She does it with me, I do it with her, and then you take it way easier a day later. It's like it's like uh, responding to an email poorly versus yeah. responding a day later. The tone is completely different. One's emotional, one's non-emotional. And so we just, we're, we're just addicted to reading. I mean, we love reading books. I don't read Harry Potter. I'm talking books like, you know, Compound Effect. Uh, the, I, I'll give you a whole list of Ego is the Enemy is a great book for people to read. Um, there's just incredible amount of books um, that I could I could list through, but get into some leadership development stuff, personal development, and then get hooked into podcasts. Start listening to stuff by uh, <clears throat> start listening to stuff by people who can really start to change your mindset. A, a book I'd recommend everybody read is called "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins. I think that's a fantastic book. If you can't handle the swearing in it, just harden up and read it. Um, there's some really really top quality mindset in that to develop. But um, yeah, and thanks for having me on on the show. It's been great to share with you. Man, that's some powerful stuff. And even with the speaking, I learned something because uh, I hate listening to myself after because just for that fact of I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said that. And I can't believe I said that like that. And I'm sure even listening to this podcast after, I don't even want to listen to it because we usually judge ourselves more than anybody else even judges us. And that's why it is important you have some other people listen to it too because sometimes um, – 
you're a lot harder on yourself than even they are. They'll tell you it's great and I like this, maybe change that. Um, but it's hard to listen to yourself. It's hard to take that self-evaluation uh, and do that. And one thing that you said before, too, is finding someone accountable. And I know what clicked in my head is I know I saw an article recently. It was either in Forbes or Fortune that said you're 72% more likely to hit the goals that you set out to hit if you have someone to be accountable to. Uh, but truly be truthful with, right, as you're accountable to them. So um, I appreciate you so much for sharing. I know it's not easy. I know it's uh, tough to dig back into that past and some of that stuff, And um, but I think it'll definitely help some people and realize that, look, there's e- even successful people struggle every day and have thoughts and have to battle, and um, I know you have some amazing things going in the future. Your businesses have been growing uh, at a super fast pace. Um, what's next for you? Like, what what's the thing that you're looking forward to as uh, this is kind of the last thing we'll cover because you have so many things going on. Uh, what are you most excited about moving forward now that you got um, this incredible, incredible daughter and uh, you just got this life now and, and you're and you're moving through? Um, what is it that you're most excited about? Yeah, it's great. So I actually run an advertising uh, company at the moment. I'm actually retiring from that in July, uh, which is exciting. Yeah, and I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be um, full time parent, and I'm going to be uh, what I'll be doing is. Um I suppose the simplest way to put it is I'll actually be living full-time, working part-time. And in that part-time, I'll be mentoring, coaching people. Um, whereas currently, I work full-time and I actually live part-time like everybody does. You part, you, you know, you, you try to fit everything into the, the, the few days a week that you have off or whatever it is. And so my life's actually shifted because of what I learned a number of years ago on the mentorship I've gained. And so what's next for us, I suppose, uh, I'll be I'll be turning the ship with that in the middle of the year. And then uh, we're going to have another baby next year. We've got a big trip to uh, Dubai, London and Paris at the end of the year. And we're going to uh, we're going to work on getting pregnant, a bit of work to do there, but a bit of work on getting pregnant and, um, and having another baby next year and then maybe adopting a third of the year after. We'll see how we go with that. And uh, we've got a good journey ahead of us. Yeah, we've got a business that's grown in three countries primarily. And now I think it'll probably shift into five or six pretty soon. And we're just going to keep pumping the pump with that. And uh, and yeah, keep growing, keep scaling, keep helping, impacting people. And um, I'm, from what I see, we're going to be speaking in different countries around the world pretty soon, which is exciting. We're on a great upward trajectory. And yeah, I just want to I just want to spend a lot of my time now helping and working with people. And um, because I've gone through such a great journey of transformation that I want to show other people people how to do exactly the same thing because you start to realize after a while that um, in life it's really not about uh, you after a while you go through a journey but the transference of that and helping other people break through is where the real value in life is Uh, and it's just such a powerful thing to be able to do well thank you everybody for tuning in we hope this helped maybe there's someone you could share it with that it may be able to help and um, you're not that effed up you can uh, take captive those those thoughts in your brain um, because that personal growth is so important uh, as you read and listen to other podcasts it actually is proven to start to rewire um, the nerve endings in your brain and how they're wired when you change the way that you start to think about things so um, we appreciate you tuning in we hope this helped and just remember As you move forward through day to day, you're not that effed up.